Kevin, you were there. Back in May, we performed our Lesser of Two Marathon with some of the funniest people in Vancouver at the Seven Dining Lounge. We recorded that entire show. We're going to be releasing parts of it online individually as bonus pay-what-you-want content. I want to pay $7. You can do that. I want to pay $7.50. You can do that. I want to pay nothing. You can do that even if you want. (gasps) What is the Lesser of Two Evils Marathon? I wasn't here to see it done live. Then you're an idiot and I hate you. (laughs) If you like Lesser of Two Evils. And you like funny people. And you like paying whatever you want. Get get it. it. I heard there's a place you can go, causticgear.com. Space. The smelly frontier. I'm Joe Fulgham. Smell-O-Vision. It's sensational. I'm Torin Atkinson. Mmm, the sweet smell of starvation. I'm Dr. Nina Quiskamp. If this episode stinks, we meant to do that. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. The word smell comes from Middle Dutch smolen, from Low German smellen. It kind of sounds... Smelen. It sounds a little bit like swollen. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but with an M instead of a W. Yeah. Which means to smolder. Smellen, Low German. You speak Low German, right? Um, No. Okay. (laughs) Only High German. Okay, good. Like elves. Yes. Uh, Ich bin ein großen Scheiße, man. (laughs) That's High German. Uh, odor comes from the Greek ozean, O-Z-E-I-N, mm-hmm. uh, to smell. And olfaction comes from Latin olfactus, from olere, or olir, to emit a smell. All right. That's, you know, on the nose, if you olere, will. Olere, <laughs> whoa. And fasiri to make. So to make, emit a smell. To make, emit a smell. Yeah. All right. That's olfaction. Mm-hmm. The fear of smells or odors is olfactophobia. All right. Okay. So <clears throat> you don't like uh, formerly known uh, trivia. Yes. <laughs> Old factophobia is bad. also linked up with smell somehow. I don't get it, but let's move on. I need to go home and make a supervillain named the Olfactor. <laughs> he just he makes smells. No, it's just people who used to be part of X Factor. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of making smells, we have a special guest, don't we? I believe we have uh, Dr. Nina Quizcomp here with us today. Quizcomp. Uh, well, she says it quizcomp, but uh, it's actually quizcomp. Uh, there you go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that's German for Smith. No, uh, I I would usually at this point in time ask for somebody's bona fides, but she is a personal friend of mine, so I'm gonna try my I'm hand gonna, at yeah. uh, her bona fides, and she oh my can God. like. Kevin, she's her old friend. What are her bona fides? Uh-huh. Why is she on the show? I'm scared. Well, first and foremost, it was her idea for the Five Senses uh, little miniseries. So uh, I said, all right, we'll do it, but only on the condition that you come out and be our guest spurt on one of them. Oh. That's true. To which she wrote, chose smell because. <laughs> she said, because Kevin stinks. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's the one sense that comes to my mind every time I'm around him. All right. So I'm going to give her bona fides. She has a PhD in biology from Munster University. I'm not doing the Adams Family. Uh, that's the one with the snaps. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, I but I don't remember. I totally knew that you were trying to do the monster theme, and my brain was going, "Is that it? I don't know." I, I'm pretty sure that's it. I just always imagined that the mummy is the professor of Egyptology, and uh, yes, at the Munster University, yeah, exactly. Uh, Be a little on the nose. 
The Wolfman is the Dean of Admunchens. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Ow. Oh. I'm feeling that, like, in my lower uh, left in side your, of my body. Like in your I've spleen. Been, like, yeah, like I've uh-huh. been stabbed in my spleen. That's how bad that joke was. That's a kidney. Uh, a kidney. Thank you. I don't... <laughs> I also have, it's damaged me so much I can't tell what my organs are. <laughs> so, and she is currently a diabetes researcher at the Life Sciences Institute at the University of British Columbia. True. And people with diabetes, they smell bad? And depending on how this show goes, we may have her back for our diabetes episode. They sometimes smell fruity. Fruity. But we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> fruity I had diabetes. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, did I miss anything? Ah, uh, no, it's pretty spot on. All right, okay, there you go. Smell or olfaction occurs when odorant molecules bind to specific sites on the olfactory receptors. What's an odorant molecule? Um, it's, it's, it's a, a molecule smell. that smells. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. all right. I'm not, I'm, I didn't, yeah, that seems patently clear. Many vertebrates, including most mammals and reptiles, have two distinct olfactory systems. The main olfactory system and the accessory olfactory system. That's the thing that smells all the uh, handbags and cars and mm-hmm. stuff that Barbie has. Yes. Right. Got it. Yeah. No, it's used mainly to detect pheromones. Oh. So that's what you used to smell, Barbie. Oh, uh, I thought it was the uh, the thing that you smell at the county fair. You know, cotton candy, the fair omones. Uh. Oh. Right. Right. You know, yeah. the, oh. the candy corn, mm-hmm. the, the carnies. The little mini donuts. Yeah, the mini donuts. <laughs> The, 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 the B.O. on the guy who runs the Tilt-A-Whirl. Now, we already did an episode on flatulence and feces, mm-hmm. uh-huh. so we won't be talking too much about those specific smells, although it'll be mentioned, I'm sure. <laughs> it'll be brought up one way or another. I right, guys? Will... <laughs> I'll tell two of my best to fire it at some point today. Mm-hmm. God, please don't. And before we get to all the human stuff, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about olfaction in plants and animals. Oh, okay. Plants. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The tendrils of plants are especially sensitive to airborne volatile organic compounds, which is to say most scents and odors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Parasitic plants make use of this in locating their preferred hosts and locking onto them. Yeah, we got tone. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, when you say that, I think that, you know, all of a sudden these vines are going to shoot out from somewhere <laughs> evil dead style and like grab onto people and then like put roots into their it, faces. It does happen, but you have to have a, one of those um, cameras that they have time high speed cameras. <laughs> you need to lie still for a long time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it, not nearly so dramatic as all that. The emission of volatile compounds is detected when foliage is browsed by animals. Threatened plants are then able to take defensive chemical measures such as moving bitter-tasting tannin compounds to their foliage. Mm. Right? What? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wild. You bite me, I poison you. Well, why wouldn't it just always be there? I guess, are there certain Conserve energy, maybe? Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe it uses its tannin for other things. <laughs> maybe it's got a limited amount of tannin, and it's going to say, oh, the, the wombat is moving around on this side of me. Right. I'm going to send all my tannin over to that side. To the left side. Okay. As opposed to the right side. I'm I guessing guess. here. Or maybe yeah. the tannin's bad for it in general, so it doesn't want it in there, and then it's like, oh, well, now I better do it. Maybe it's like if it's got tannin in the, in the leaves, then it doesn't absorb as much sunlight, maybe. Like maybe. Mm-hmm. These are many theories whole bunch <laughs> we're of, all presenting this with is, no knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Caustic soda, where we go. I don't know, maybe it's this. <laughs> most mammals have a good sense of smell, whereas most birds do not, except, any guesses? Uh, a bird with a good smeller? Mm-hmm. Uh, Got to be a toucan. 
<laughs> right? He smells Follow your nose. Yeah, that's right. Always knows. It's in the ad the campaign. Of fruit. Yeah. Joe, do you have any theories? Uh, wait, vultures? Cause vultures they, cause is correct. Actually, you would think that they wouldn't because they're eating like dead, decaying shit all the yeah, time. Yeah, but they have to find it. <gasps> yeah, there you go. Ah. Nina, any other suggest? Any other uh, guesses? Kiwis? Kiwis, you said. Uh-huh. That is correct. Wow. How'd you know that? Well, they spend a lot of time foraging around and, and yeah, they, they are just well-known birds for for being All able right. to smell well. And they got those kind of weirdo-looking beaks. Everyone knows that the Kiwis have good senses of smell, Kevin. Uh, we're talking I, about New Zealanders, people from New Zealand, right? Yes. Are we talking about right. that? Uh, also, petrels and albatrosses. Oh, okay. Al- albatry? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure it's not albatry. Yeah. That was a joke. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Figures suggesting greater or lesser sensitivity in various mammal species are based on perceptions by these animals rather than mere nasal function. That is... Right. The brain's smell-recognizing centers must react to the stimulus detected for the animal to show a response to the smell in question. Okay. So it's not necessarily the nose. Right. But the brain. That's also the nose. Well, it's both. Because yeah, you, you're not going to have the brain smell it without the nose. It's true. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, all, um, it's all connected. Yeah. It's, it's the ability to process that information and act on it as opposed to just smell it. Yeah. It is estimated that dogs in general have an olfactory sense approximately 100,000 to 1 million times more acute than a human's. Uh, it's their blessing and their curse. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. You'd think they wouldn't like to smell butts as much as they do if they have 1 million times more olfactory sense than we do. Maybe we only smell the bad parts, and maybe their sensitivity smells all the amazing, delicate, beautiful parts of the smell of a butt. They're just big fans of corn and peanuts? You know, it's like seeing black and white and being Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I don't know, this looks all right. And then you see it in color, and you're like, whoa, this is beautiful. And they they smell in color, Mm -hmm. and we just smell in black and white, and it looks gross and muddy. Okay, I'll buy that analogy. Actually, a substance in feces uh, smells really sweet and flowery when you have it in low concentrations, and it's actually used in a lot of perfumes. So maybe dogs just, yeah. Smells like ass. Not so bad at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this does not mean that they are overwhelmed by smells our noses can detect. Rather, it means they can discern a molecular presence when it is in much greater dilution in the uh, carrier or the air. Right, right. Okay. Okay, so it doesn't. It's not like amplifying a sound to be too loud. Right. It's just that they're really, really good at at quote unquote hearing super quiet sounds. Right. Yeah. Right. And di- differentiating between right. all the notes but and tones. Doing that with, mm-hmm. But doing that with sm- smells. And Got stuff. it. Yeah. Got it. Got Imagine it. Imagine to be able being able to hear a conversation. You're in Storm Crow Tavern. Okay. Which oh, is a man. notoriously loud, lovely venue. place. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're over in one corner. You can hear. You can make out the conversation. In the other corner. So then yeah. my paladin swung his sword and I rolled a 19. <laughs> Only that smells and not, so not the, sounds. So the conversations near you aren't necessarily louder. You can just like cut through mm-hmm. the... Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Now I, wish I, now I wish I had a hearing and or smelling power. Nah, not so sure. That's <laughs> really so beneficial. Now I said the dogs have an olfactory sense approximately 100,000 to 1 million times more acute than a human's. But bloodhounds have noses 10 to 100 million times more than humans. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did we do that? Is that because of us? Well, because of breeding, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were bred for the specific purpose of tracking humans and can detect a scent trail a few days old, whereas I cannot. <laughs> Not uh, even when my cat pukes on the carpet. Even when he went up for that bloodhound audition. 
You, uh, yes. you, know, you went out, you, you went all method on it, and you couldn't channel it from your inner bloodhound. Now, the silver tip grizzly found in parts of North America has a sense of smell seven times stronger than that of the bloodhound. What? Wow. 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 Essential for locating food underground. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Bears can detect the scent of food from up to 18 miles away. So if you were within 18 miles of a silver-tip grizzly bear, it knows you're there. Do yeah. not leave your sandwich <laughs> lying around. Yeah, don't uh, don't put on your uh, your salmon swimming upstream uh, <laughs> eau de cologne. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, leave that one at home when you're wandering 18 miles within a silver-tip grizzly. The eastern American mole smells in stereo. Because they're blind and have little use for hearing, uh, moles use stereoscopic smell to determine their location and the location of their prey. So they, their two nostrils pick things up individually, I guess? I guess so, yeah. Oh, they, and knows That's that wild. You don't even have to turn your head. They can kind of triangulate just, yeah. based on uh, smell. Oh, huh. Oh, that was the, the what American mole? The Eastern American mole. Okay, all right. In many species, olfaction is highly tuned to pheromones. A male silkworm moth, for example, can sense a single molecule of female silk moth pheromone known as... Who wants to know what the name is, the word is for female silk moth pheromone? Uh, Mothamone? Anything else? No? You'll never get it, but I want to hear you try. Charlie for moths? Close. Okay. No. Mothra? Mothra? (laughs) I like it. Bombicol. Bomb? Bombicol. Okay. B-O-M-B-Y-K-O-L. Bombicol. How did they come up with that? Okay. I don't know. (laughs) But I love the word. Yeah. Sounds like a, a hobbit. Bombacol Baggins. I'll, I'll totally buy <laughs> yeah. it. Fish also have a well-developed sense of smell, even though they inhabit an aquatic environment. Mm-hmm. Two-thirds of a shark's brain is dedicated to smell, and it can detect a prey's amino acids, usually blood, mm-hmm. at concentrations as low as one part per billion. Even uninjured fish are not safe from a shark's surveillance. A merely nervous fish emits chemicals to warn others. Unfortunately for them, uh, the signals can't be picked up by sharks. Don't be don't be nervous around sharks. Oh, okay. Especially if you're a That's fish. Easy. Easier said than done. It kind of makes sharks dicks. <laughs> going after the ones worried about it the most. <laughs> well, then yeah. again, if everyone everything about around you is uh, nervous, true. What do you That's do true. that? Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah. Like being nervous around a shark is a pretty natural thing to do. It's you can't see the forest for the trees. You can't see the ocean for the fish, right? I can smell everything's nervousness. (laughs) Everything's nervous around. Why? Why, guys? I just want to be friends. (laughs) This is like a Far Side cartoon. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the skunk. Theols, I think it's pronounced T H I O L S. Uh Possibly thiols. Okay. The compounds that make skunk odor so distinctive are chemicals that human olfactory senses can detect at a level of parts per billion. Okay. In other words, if theols make up just a few billionths of the volume of air and other gases in a room, we can smell them. Mm-hmm. It is thiol. Thiol? Yep. The foul quality of the smell is largely due to the sulfur in the thiols. Oh, okay. So uh, can you light them on fire like farts? Uh, you can lock skunks on fire. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to improve the situation. <laughs> Another kind of sulfur thiol is uh, actually added to natural gas, which is itself odorless, as we all know. So we can easily smell a gas leak. Right. All right. Skunk spray also contains chemical compounds called thioacetate, which decompose very slowly into thiols. So you get a slow release of thiols from the thioacetate for a long time to come. I have a skunk anecdote. 
Yeah, okay. Good friend too. of mine, uh, John, was uh, sitting out in front of his house waiting for uh, uh, one of his friends to stop by. And he was like sitting on the curb reading a book. And uh, he felt like this kind of nuzzling at his elbow. And he, uh, he assumed it was a neighborhood cat. And this was during the day as well, which is yeah. odd because skunks are kind of nocturnal. nocturnal yeah. Yeah. So it was like nuzzling his elbow. And he like turned to like pet the neighborhood cat. And it was a skunk. Mm-hmm. And so he jumped up and was like, bah! And then the skunk kind of jumped back like three steps, like that, that, and like lifted his tail up. He's like, "Calm down, <laughs> take it easy." <laughs> and then the skunk just kind of started to waggle his ass, and he started to run. Yes, and he said, "It still caught him. He still oh. got caught. He still got caught in the cloud." That's a public service announcement right there. Uh, and uh, just it, pretend a skunk is a cat, and you'll be fine. He could he could wash he washed out uh, out of the clothes the stench, but he couldn't get it out of his leather belt and his leather shoes. They were ruined forever. Oh, yeah. oh interesting. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my Boston Terrier, Loki, all seven kilograms of him, had to go out really late one night to the backyard to do his business. Mm-hmm. I think it was like two in the morning. He like woke me up, like wanting to Desperate. go Desperate, yeah. So I open the back door and, and let him out and I go back to lie in the bed to wait for him to run back in because who knows how long it's going to take him. And I hear him barking out back and I'm like, damn it, what is he be barking at that cat again? Mm-hmm. And as I get up to go shout at him to get inside and stop barking, he comes running in like a bat out of hell. And not scared, not freaked out. He's actually super excited looking. Like his face is all just, oh my God, guess what happened? He <laughs> jumps up on the bed and starts just rolling around in the sheets and he is covered in skunk spray. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> that asshole decided to come in and share it for us. Well, see, now, <sighs> now, now I understand why Pepe Le Pew mistook that cat for a skunk because yeah. it's happened to everybody around this table, it seems yeah. like. Ah, it's only natural. Yeah. <laughs> I, my dog was not bothered at all like he did he was not at all upset he thought it was totally awesome what happened and he wanted to come in and share it with us nice so he didn't uh, have any burning sensation in his eyes I or don't, nose which area, is good because he's got those big bulging eyes so i yeah. guess he didn't get it in the face it's it's actually possible that he just found a spot that the skunk sprayed after he chased it away and right. rolled around in it yeah, that's possible too but yeah. it was awful it, we mm-hmm. we uh, two in the morning i'm doing the sheets in my bed basically yeah. oh, and yeah. washing my dog with scope no it is uh it is foul well, if you have the thiols mm-hmm. on your person yep. yeah. from the skunk spray, you can wash hard surfaces with a mixture of 3% hydrogen peroxide and a quarter cup of baking soda per quart of hydrogen peroxide and a little detergent. Uh, this actually changes the chemistry of the skunk spray and converts the smelly compounds into odorless chemicals. Clothes and other objects can be washed with a bleach solution, but if the smell has drifted all over your house, all you can do is air it out. Tomato juice does not work. That is true. Mm-hmm. It's a wives' tale. Uh, what I found so when when this happened with my dog and all my sheets and stuff like that, I googled for what to do, and it also mentioned tomato juice was bunk, but it did say you should wash your dog with scope, like a mouthwash. Oh, because the alcohol will help break it break it down, and the scent will help mask what's left. Okay, and it, it worked pretty well. Okay, um, and it also says if you're washing your bed sheets and stuff to to throw some scope in there as well. When, when you first said scope, I thought you meant like telescopic one on a rifle, oh. and they were suggesting you shoot your dog. From a long distance to put yeah. it, yeah. To keep it you don't want to get to too keep, close. To, to keep yeah, it just from, leave them there to keep it from rolling around in your sheets again. Yeah, <laughs> tomato juice also has a strong smell. So at first, your nose reacts more to the tomato juice than the old skunk smell. But after a while, the effect wears off, and you're back to smelling like a skunk. This is called olfactory fatigue. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Has anyone heard of a binturong? No. Mm. All right. Is it from Australia? That sounds like an Australian made it up. It does sound like it. Binturong. I know exactly what it is. It sounds bouncy. I know exactly what it is. Uh-oh. It's the opposite of binturite. 
Binjarong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Also known as a bear cat, it is a mammal from South Asia in the same family as a civet. Oh, oh uh, there you go. Call back to our food episode and mm-hmm. the Kopi Luwak coffee. Mm-hmm. When frightened, they release a fine spray of liquid which has an acrid smell and which actually uh, almost burns when inhaled. Oh, so they're kind of like an Australian skunk? They're skunky. Okay. But binturongs, like cats, rub up against trees, bushes, and people in order to make you smell like them. <laughs> but unlike regular cats, the bear cat musk glands, which are on either side of the anus, smells like buttered popcorn. What? Okay. Nice. <laughs> That's so, not bad. So when you go in to see Guardians of the Galaxy this summer, <laughs> it might and you be see bit... some guy behind there with some kind of a mammal rubbing around <laughs> in your pop in the giant big popcorn uh, uh-huh. container. It's a binturong. Yeah, okay, no, no, that no. Is, binturong. That is not rocket raccoon. Uh-huh. Exactly. That is a binturong. <laughs> yeah. They look similar. <laughs> okay. Uh, so wait, so they can spray you with something acrid that burns, but naturally they smell like buttered popcorn. Uh, yeah. So they're so. trying to like, are they, they dicks? Are they trying to lure you closer Maybe. so they can like burn your face off with <laughs> yes. their acrid yes. spray? Oh, those tricksters. Yes, they evolved in the areas around movie theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They keep humping the popcorn machine. It's mating time, baby. I'm getting it on. You guys have heard of carrion flowers, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, those are the ones that you carry on a long trip. Yeah, you can bring them with you into the cabin of the airplane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's carry-on Yeah, as opposed flowers. to stow under yeah. flowers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, also known as corpse flowers or stinking flowers are flowers that emit an odor that smells like rotting flesh. Oh, Nice. They attract mostly scavenging flies and beetles as pollinators. Yeah. I'm going to talk about a couple here. First oh. is the... So anything that would like be flocked to a dead body mm-hmm. flocks to these flowers. Yes. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yep. Raflesia is a parasitic plant found in the Indonesian rainforest. It spreads its absorptive organ, the haustorium. Say it with me. Haustorium. haustorium. <laughs> Inside the tissue of the vines, which it parasitizes. The only part of the plant that can be seen outside the host vine is the five-petaled flower. In some species, the flower may be over 39 inches in diameter. Wow. Oh, that's that's large. And weigh up to 22 pounds. 22-pound flower? Yeah. The flowers look and smell like rotting flesh, hence its local names, which translate to corpse flower or meat flower. You know, there's a number of different reasons that you shouldn't send these on Valentine's Day, <laughs> right? Number Just one, shipping alone. One, number one, it smells like a corpse. Yeah. Number two, at 22 pounds per, yeah. you know, the, a bouquet is, a bouquet gonna, is like gonna set you $100 back. dollars to, yeah. to send that. It's gonna be a handful. But she's worth it. You know what? Yeah, she's worth. It. <laughs> well, you know. She-Hulk really wanted a fitting corsage. Maybe you send maybe you send a, a bouquet of corpse flowers to your ex. Hmm. I would, there you I'm, go. I'm glad a relationship is dead. Yeah. I, I would see that as a bit of a threat, actually. <laughs> You're fucking dead like this flower. <laughs> no, that's that's the mob. Yeah, they, they don't send you a, a basket of fishes. Uh, Raflesia is the official state flower of Indonesia. What? The Sabah <laughs> state in Malaysia and of the Surat Thani province in Thailand. Okay, they've got to have a better flower. <laughs> what kind of message is that sending? You've got, you're in Thailand. There's more than one flower, I'm sure. It stinks. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Oh. Maybe they say, if this is our official flower, it can only get better from here. <laughs> Next up on the stinky flower uh, list mm-hmm. is Amorphophallus Titanum. Who knows what tra- that translates into well, in English? Uh, a f- Deformed phallus. Big, huge, changing penis. Big, huge, changing penis. That's totally what it means. That's pretty yes. much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. 
Amorphous <laughs> meaning without form or misshapen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Nina, you got it right. <laughs> phallus means penis and Titan means giant. Um, Amorphophallus titanum, oh. also known as the Titum arum, is a flowering plant with the largest unbranched inflorescence. Who knows what that is? Nope. 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 I'm not a botanist. He's <laughs> a biologist, not a botanist. It's the part where flowers are formed on a plant. In the uh, largest unbranched inflorescence in the world, it can reach over 10 feet. So wait, so that's like the part the flower comes out of. So it's the stem, basically. That's one giant. A 10 us. foot long stem, that is. We'll put a photo on CosticSodaPodcast.com of uh-huh. the Armophophallus titanum. And it's oh, I can see why they call this the giant misshapen dong. Yes, <laughs> look at that thing. That is, yeah, it's kind of phallic. There's some phallicity here that we're talking about. The fragrance of the titanum arum resembles rotting meat. Don't say mm. scientists that don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> giant. You discovered this flower and call it giant phallus. <laughs> giant misshapen phallus. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm I'm asking where's the rule thirty four on this? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Rule thirty four of the internet. I don't know. If it exists, there is porn of it. Uh huh. I don't see any. Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe it's safe filters on. Picture section. <laughs> <laughs> no safe searches on. No, it hasn't. It's, it hasn't been done yet. It hasn't been pornified yet. All right, so do jerks. <laughs> it's time for an art project. You know, it's when it's fully like blooming like this one, it's actually it's not ugly. Until you smell it. But it yeah. must smell awful. It is really cool why, looking. Wait, like, why are there like 400 people around watching this thing? Because it's impressive. <laughs> okay. Isn't this the one that only blooms every once in a while? Yeah, every seven to ten years. Yeah. Oh, oh, there you go. That'll do it. Yeah. It's, That'll... A, it's a real event. Yeah, Okay. And then you get to get wafted with stench of corpse. And during bloom, the tip of the inflorescence is approximately human body temperature, which helps the perfume <laughs> volatilize. Which helps with the porn being more comfortable to create. Yeah. Maybe we're getting a snapshot into the uh, the botanist that discovered this thing. <laughs> they touch it, it's like, human temperature. I've been in this jungle a long time. <laughs> mm. And one of his buddies is just like, why don't you just call it a morphophallus titanum? Uh... I'm going to study this alone in the tent for a minute or two. Could name it after my dick. <laughs> it's yes. big. Get it? And misshapen. Yeah, yeah baby. Yeah. yeah, she added that on. <laughs> the potency of the aroma gradually increases from late evening until the middle of the night and then tapers off as morning arrives. Oh, okay. Analyses of chemical released by the spadix, it's another botanical term, show that the stench includes... Benzyl alcohol, which has a sweet floral scent. Mm-hmm. Phenol, which is like chloroseptic. Okay. Indole, which is like mothballs. Oh, that, now we're getting to the stinky part. <laughs> the first two sound okay. Dimethyl trisulfide. Oh, like, that that is definitely a stinky part. It's got sulfide in it. Yeah. Like Limburger nice. cheese. Oh, Limburger cheese. See? Trimethylamine. Trimethylamine. Mm-hmm. Rotting trimethylamine. fish. Trimethylamine. Oh, rotting, rotting fish. Nice. <laughs> And isovaleric acid, which smells like sweaty socks. <laughs> All the important parts for good smell. Yeah. <laughs> Limburger cheese, dead fish, sweaty rotting socks. fish, sweaty Moth socks, mothballs. And a sweet floral scent and mm-hmm. chloroseptic. <sighs> yeah, that I, sounds like a deadly combination. I totally want to smell this. It would be terrible, but I want to You can it. make it at home. Take torn sticky Let's, socks right there, now. There you mm-hmm. go. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, start. Bi- it, it, it would certainly be caustic. Oh, that's what our caustic soda brand perfume. The uh, The, amorphophallus titanus? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Don't wait every seven to ten years. Smell the bloom today. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. How the nose smells things. Most of the air you draw into your nose goes directly down to your lungs, but a small amount is diverted up into the sinus cavities. Okay, yeah, I can attest to that. One researcher proved this near the turn of the century. He sawed a cadaver head in half, put litmus paper, which reacts to ammonia by turning blue, uh, into the throat and sinus cavities. Then he put the head back together Mm -hmm. and pumped ammonia fumes up the nostrils. Sure enough, Paulson saw that the litmus paper in the sinus cavities turned blue. However, the litmus paper in the sinus cavities did not turn nearly as blue as the litmus paper in the throat. Okay. Illustrating that only a small part of the airstream was diverted into the sinuses. Okay. Well, you know, sawing a cadaver head in half has always got to be kind of fun in that, uh, you know, taking people apart sort of era, you know, when it was first being done. I can't even imagine sawing a head in half. Even a dead, like, that's just, like, taking a saw, sawing a head in half. (laughs) I, you know, I mean, once you've seen enough cadavers, it's probably, you know, kind of just on par with watermelon. Sure, right? but I have not. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Oh, you, Nina, have they ever asked you to saw a head in half? No, not yet. Okay. I hope did I can that get around own. that. <laughs> yeah, that's what, she did that for fun. I might get to see credit. kidney transplant soon. Oh. oh. I'm probably going to pass on. <laughs> Keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> Pop quiz. Okay. Okay. What does normosmic mean? That's the normal sense of smell? Yeah. Yes, having That's normal olfactory sensation. Yeah. Okay. Like All right. What does macrosmatic mean? Macrosmatic? Is that that guy who talks really fast? He's a macroasmatic, the, the, mac, uh, the macro machine guy. The micro machines? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, the guy who talks really fast. I vaguely remember those yeah. commercials. Those micro machines. Okay. Oh, sorry. Not micro machines. All those right. are real cars. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Those are full size cars. <laughs> well, it means. A uh, big smell? Does it mean you have a good sense of smell? Yes, having a strong sense of smell. Okay. Mm. Good as macro smell. Mm. I, I thought it might mean the opposite, meaning you could only smell big things. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? Macro. <laughs> Macrosmatic. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. I can only smell mammoths and uh, skyscrapers. Like a, like a, like a, <laughs> mic, a microscope the? is what you can see very well with, right? Uh-huh. Whereas a macroscope would probably make like things look worse and uh, further away. So I, I was w- thinking maybe that's what it means. <laughs> I'd like to know from Torin what a skyscraper smells like in your mind. Oh, it's just, People. just as you'd imagine. Uh, okay. All right. Yep. That's good to narrow it down. Now, with regards to how much can humans smell, uh-huh. rough calculations made in the 1920s of the known groups and ranges of smells, mm-hmm. claiming that humans could distinguish 10,000 odors, was tested by neurobiologists at Rockefeller U in New York City this past year. Okay. All right. So they I- said... 10,000 odors in the 1920s. And let me guess. Let me guess. But nobody ever tested that really. Uh, let me guess. They came to the conclusion that everything we decided in the 1920s totally holds true today. Mm-hmm. And that nothing has ever changed in the last like 94 yeah. years. And uh, that, uh, you know, we just wash our hands of it. Done. 10,000 10, smells. That's all we're capable of doing. Case closed. Well, they took 128 odor molecules that represented a wide range of smells Mm -hmm. and started combining them into unique mixtures containing 10, 20, or 30 different components. Okay. They recruited volunteers aged 20 to 48. Mm -hmm. Each volunteer was given three smell-containing vials at a time, two that were identical and one that was a slightly different mixture. Okay. And then they were asked uh, which one was the odd one out. Okay. All right. According to the new study, we can smell roughly one trillion scents but- <laughs> that the nose and brain are capable of distinguishing from each other. How, how many how many times ten thousand is that? Is that is that ten thousand ten thousand? A trillion? Yeah. Like- it's I think it's three. 
three ten three. thousands? No, just three. Okay. A trillion is three. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> oh, you try. Yeah, okay, there I get yeah, it. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Uh-huh. Anyway, there's a bunch of zeros after a one. A whole lot of zeros. More than 10,000, mm-hmm. as was previously. 12. <laughs> there are 12 zeros. Got it. Actually, the trillion they, they estimated for this uh, study is for the their worst smeller. The best could do 10 times that. So that was the low end. That was the lowest common denominator. No, the, no, the least successful was only able to smell 80 million. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, once it could do way more than Yes, that. yes. More than 1,000 trillion. The, the best smellers. Wow. Yeah. Sherry put this section into our little uh, document here. Disorders of olfaction. Hyperosmia. Any, any guesses? No, that's where you smell too much. Yeah, I would think so. Oversensitivity. Ab- yes, abnormally mm. acute sense of smell. Okay. Hyposmia. That's the opposite? No, that's when a hipster smells well. Oh, I thought you were going to say s- smells like a hippo. Yeah. <laughs> that's the decreased ability to smell. Right. Anosmia. I'm going to guess that means absolutely no sense of smell. Anosmia is the inability to perceive order. Yeah. Odor. Like a order. Inability. Like you can't yeah. perceive any odor. Yeah. Anosmia yep. is due to an inflammation of the nasal mucosa, blockage of nasal passages, or a destruction of one temporal lobe. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like the worst way to lose your sense of smell. The, yeah. the, the prefix A typically means without. Mm-hmm. So some like people, amoral means without morals. Yeah. Some people may be anosmic for one particular odor. Mm-hmm. This is known as specific anosmia. Huh. Usually genetic. Okay, so you can like smell everything in the world except but not bacon. Oh God, not a life worth living. <laughs> <laughs> Harmful. That's, of- that's actually unlikely because the smell of bacon is made up of several different smells. Oh, yeah. okay. Or odors, All right. to be okay. more correct. Yeah. It, might, it might smell slightly different because yes. you can't smell one of those things in the in the cocktail of the bacon smell. Some harmful effects of anosmia is that patients with a sudden onset of anosmia may find food less appetizing. Okay. The loss of smell can be dangerous as it hinders the detection of gas leaks, fire, and spoiled food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Losing an established or sentimental smell memory, like the smell of grass or your grandparents' attic mm-hmm. or a particular book or okay. loved ones or of oneself. You can't smell yourself anymore. Oh, yes, you wouldn't know when you stink. You wouldn't know when you stink. Oh, that would be a social problem. Why is everyone avoiding me? <laughs> yeah, there are people that cannot smell their own their own sweat. Mm-hmm. That is unfortunate. Yeah, you just go through like BO stick, like nobody's business. Keep putting on like every eight seconds, right? Or not at all, because you don't think you stink. Yeah, or, but that would be, I mean, you'd, you'd have to find out pretty quickly that you just don't know that you stink. Some people are very polite. Canadians are very polite. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, The the lack of uh, smell has been known to cause feelings of depression. All right. Mental issues. Got it. Loss of olfaction may lead to loss of libido. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Because we can like smell when uh, the opposite sex is is getting hot and heavy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh. She's ready to go. <laughs> Did you Let's know? get it on? She's <laughs> got Let's the smell of on. readiness. Notable uh, person with anosmia was Ben Cohen, the co-founder of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. Oh, okay, wait, but the co-founder of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream couldn't yes, the smell. Ben in Ben and Jerry. That explains so much. Mm-hmm. In part, their distinctive style of ice cream was developed to compensate for Ben's anosmia, his loss of smell, and near loss of taste. As Ben kept adding larger and larger chunks to the ice cream to satisfy his need for texture in food. 
Oh, okay. Oh, right? okay. So because, because without much taste, the ice cream is just like a cold pablum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wants chunks and things. I want I chunks. Oh, some okay. chunks in there. So if the, if people... Put in some jacks and some sandpaper. Mm, so uh, it, it, probably one of the single biggest contributors in America to diabetes. Yes, <laughs> right? there you go. Yeah. So by extension, Nina has Who a job. established, smells sweet. Doctor, because of all the Ben and Jerry's. I owe them a lot. Dr. Nina owes her <laughs> occupation to anosmia. Nice. I also like the ice cream a lot. Uh, no, well, it's not to like. Just because I know it gives you diabetes doesn't make it any better. <laughs> or any worse. I mean, yeah. Dysosmia. Dysosmia. Oh, Means that's where you, you smell things wrong? No, you don't respect it. <laughs> you yes. diss it? Yeah. yeah. Any qualitative alteration or distortion of the perception of smell? Yep. Mm-hmm. Usually for the worse. You know, it'd be a lot easier to figure out what it means if it was dystortmia. Right. Mm-hmm. The main causes are upper respiratory tract infections, head trauma, okay. and nasal and paranasal sinus disease. Their subsets include eosmia, E-U-O-S-M-I-A. The natural odor is described as a pleasant aroma. Okay. Wait, so hold on. You can have a, a condition. Mm-hmm. This is a, 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 a problem. This is an olfactory. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's not. This is a, it's a disorder. When No matter what you're smelling, it smells nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that doesn't maybe, sound like much of a problem at all. Maybe farts smell like flowers. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> fart on my face some more, Kevin. <laughs> I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Perosmia, which is the inability of the brain to properly identify an odor's natural smell. Instead, the natural odor is most often described as unpleasant. Typically a burned, rotting, fecal, or chemically smell. Okay. Mm. Mm, one of these things is not like the other. And one of these disorders is not the same. And phantosmia. Smells that aren't actually there? No, these are uh, you, when you smell ghosts, right? <laughs> it's like one of those reality shows where that guy could just go sniffing right. around. Oh, I smell ghosts around here. <laughs> ghost smellers. Ghost smellers. Maybe it's the smell of a room full of soda jerks. Oh, yeah? Phantosmia. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is a form of olfactory hallucination. Phantosmia is the perception of smell in the absence of any physical odors. Although the causes of phantosmia are debated. This is actually an awesome name for a band, I would say. Phantosmia? Phantosmia. Oh, yeah. All right. What kind of uh, music would they play? Uh, (laughs) Smelly music. Or maybe they're just air band without, (laughs) they don't plug anything in. That's yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> no, l- literally an air band. They have huge fans on stage that waft different scents at the people in the crowd. <laughs> that's how they perform. Yep. Uh, although the causes are debated, it often occurs with neurological and psychological disorders such as schizophrenia, mood disorders, Parkinson's disease, epilepsy, neuroblastoma, and frequent migraines. Mm. Did you have this? No. You missed a migraine. You're uh, the migraine. Factory hallucination? Oh, well, maybe. How would I know? <laughs> <laughs> he just writes toast. those down and turns them into songs. <laughs> I smell burnt toast and molasses. Then there's olfactory reference syndrome. This is a mental disorder in which there is a persistent false belief and preoccupation about emitting abnormal body odors, which are foul and offensive to other individuals. Persons with ORS often misinterpret others' behavior, for example, sniffing, touching their nose, or opening a window, as being referential to a body odor, which in reality is non-existent and cannot be detected by other people. So hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. So they think they stink when they don't. Yes. And anytime somebody reacts in a way that they think might be in reaction to the stink, they believe it. Yes. So somebody could just like... Uh, be waving goodbye, and they're like, "Oh no, they're <laughs> wafting, they're away, wafting my smell. away my stink from their face." Yeah. Oh, so this is a mental disorder, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
This disorder is often accompanied by shame, distress, avoidance behavior, social phobia, and social isolation. Hmm. Halitosis appears to be the most common manifestation of ORS, with 75% complaining of bad breath. Of course, it's right under your nose. The next most common complaint was sweat. Hmm. B-O. <laughs> the next section is worst smells in the world. Oh, yeah. Does All anyone right. have any personal anecdotes about the worst smell they've ever smelled? Have you ever smelled anything that was so bad that made you gag? Oh, have you ever oh. heated up uh, cheap parmesan in the microwave? <laughs> cheap parmesan in the microwave? No, it's I have so, not, but now I want to. remarkably like vomit. Oh, oh okay. It's right. disgusting. <laughs> All right. The last time I remember having a real severe gag reflex was actually when I first moved into my current apartment. Uh-huh. There had been a family living there before, and I noticed that the drain was like draining really slow in the shower. So I got in there and uh, just started kind of like, you know, roto-rooting around with uh, some uh, some pliers. And I pulled out this giant hairball. Oh, lovely. That had been there obviously a long time. And it was like greasy and slimy. And there was kind of an odor to it. And yeah, I just about heaved. At least I was in the shower, though. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have been terrible. Yeah. yeah. I had an apartment in Chilliwack uh, and... The apartment next to me constantly smelled like baby diapers. Yeah. Okay. It was terrible. Right. W- were there babies there? Or? Yes, there were okay. babies Okay, that, that might be the explanation. I assume I that they were- I just thought for a second when you said it, that it was like mysteriously smelled like baby I think there was the ghost of a baby diaper I assume that they were hoarding their used diapers because oh. it smelled that bad like, oh, all the time. Yeah, I'm gagging right now. Yeah. And then I worked in a restaurant uh-huh. and I was like the prep guy. Mm-hmm. And one morning I came in and uh, there was a bucket up on a top shelf. Uh huh. And I grabbed the bucket and I brought it down and it was rotten chicken. Ooh. Been chicken that had been sitting there at least overnight. At right. least. Right, right. And I'm like, before I even thought about it, I was like, oh, I took a whiff of it. Yeah. And uh, I didn't throw up, but it was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it, was, uh, it stays with me forever. Nice. That- I assume that we have stories even worse than all those ones. Send your horrible smell stories to info at costcasodapodcast.com or, or post it on our Facebook page or our comments on costcasodapodcast.com. I looked at a bunch of different top 10 lists of worst smells on the internet. Mm. Yeah, the, I did too, and they all seem kind of lame. Yeah. Like, but there were some through items okay. that were on most of the lists, those being uh, sewage, rotten fish, right. yeah. uh, decomposing corpse. Yeah. Mm. And uh, hydrogen sulfide. I definitely have the ability to say that I have not yet smelled a decomposing corpse. That is avoided. That I've I've smelled um, yeah. all those other things. No I've avoided. Kill? I've avoided the corpse. Well, did you know that there are two molecules produced during the decomposition of proteins when the amino acids lysine and omithine break down, mm-hmm. and these are called. You know what they're called? Yes, uh, cadaverin and putrescin. Yes. I hope I'm spelling that right. I would say right. putrescine. Putrescine, yeah. But maybe it's putrescine. Cadaverin and putrescine? Yes. That like uh, Was that a, a book written by Michael Chabon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Carrion flies, rats, and other animals that l- eat or lay eggs in dead things are attracted to these molecules. All right. There was a study I found called Effective and Cognitive Consequences of Malodorous Pollution. That is a title. This is published in the Basic and Applied Social Psychology in June 1983. Nice. The author was James Rotten. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what? one of these names. Yeah. Brother. Question, what's first, the, the choice of occupation or the name? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
The experiments involve between 48 and 80 undergraduates working on simple arithmetic and complex proofreading tasks while exposed to ethyl mercoptan. This is the odor that resembles leeks, onions, durians, or cooked cabbage. Okay. Mm. All right. Those are distasteful smells. Yep. Uh, as predicted, it was concluded that malodorous pollution exerts effects similar to ones produced by noise, density, and other stressors. The smells had the effect even when at such low levels that the subjects couldn't consciously detect them. So their performances oh. were de- decreased while they were subjected to this odor. Okay. I actually was sitting down to write a final exam in my first year of university. Yes. And, uh, Somebody had a rotten cabbage behind you? Not a rotten cabbage, <laughs> but uh, a girl came on and sat down two seats over from me. And like after she sat down and like eight seconds later, I got this waft of perfume that was so oh, strong that my eyes literally started to water. Uh, yeah. And I went, I uh, can't sit here next to this girl for the next hour and a half. Like she sat down and like 10 seconds later, I got up and walked away. I'm like, listen, I don't care if I shatter your confidence. I can't write an exam this close to you. Yeah, I've had that on transit as well, on mm-hmm. SkyTrain and buses where somebody walks on with just way too much perfume. And the yeah, you can't get away when you're on a little tiny moving mm-hmm. room like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. had similar experiences, but in movie theaters. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Decreased my enjoyment. Of did you the movie. did did you yeah. did you somehow shush them about their smell? That's right. You're just like, you please go to the bathroom no, and no, take a shower. You smell too loud. <laughs> no, instead <laughs> instead of shushing, you turn around and you go. <laughs> I was thinking you <laughs> at them. Right? In, instead of shushing, I thought you would turn around and bl- try and blow the smell away. <laughs> so I put a little 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 fan on your shoulder, going in the in whatever yeah. direction of the person. Yeah, nice. Did you know that starvation has a smell? You did. Well, uh, yes. When you go into starvation, your body will try to get energy from different sources. So mm-hmm. first you start out with um, carbohydrates. That's a normal process. And then eventually you, you will end up processing fats. And the, the products that are produ- produced um, have this distinctive smell. It's mm-hmm. very fruity. And yeah, you emit it through your breath and so people on starvations actually smell pretty sweet they have sweet fruity <laughs> breath when you're starving to death yeah it's what? called it's called ketosis because the uh, the fats get broken down into what are called ketones and they're uh, molecules that have that scent i when thought it, the ketones were like a band from the 50s they probably were that as well <laughs> right now i mentioned on the list of world's worst smells hydrogen sulfide okay I'd like to thank Corey for this segment. Mm-hmm. Hydrogen sulfide is the chemical compound with the formula H2S. Okay. It is a colorless gas with a characteristic foul odor of rotten eggs. It is heavier than air, very poisonous, corrosive, flammable, and explosive. It's got it all. Oh, wow. This is the, uh, the like holy quintology. Hydrogen sulfide often results from the bacterial breakdown of organic matter in the absence of oxygen, such as in swamps and sewers. Okay. So sewer gas. Mm-hmm. H2S also occurs in volcanic gases, natural gas, and some well waters. The human body produces small amounts of H2S. Uh, mm-hmm. If you drink it, maybe not so well water. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Unwell water. Yeah. I see what happened. 0.00047 parts per million, or 0.47 parts per billion, uh-huh. is the odor threshold. By which you, like, die? The point at which 50% of a human panel can detect the presence of the compound. Oh, oh just detect it. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. That's the odor threshold. All right. All right. At 100 to 150 parts per million, the olfactory nerve is paralyzed after a few inhalations and the sense of smell disappears, often together with awareness of danger. 
to okay. <laughs> so right? it paralyzes. Oh, I can't smell this hydrogen sulfide anymore. It must, it must, be, must gone. be gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's how it gets you. It's like saying I can't tell that I'm wet anymore now that I'm completely underwater. <laughs> It's not like that, but that's close. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unconsciousness and death can follow. Mm. It is a deadly risk for workers in oil fields where it is known as sour gas. Mm. According to federal, but I like sour patch candies. Yeah, that sounds they sound kind of the the same. Tastes like swamp gas. Yeah, sour gas is what comes out after you eat a whole bunch of those. Ah, I see. (laughs) That's right. According to federal statistics, hydrogen sulfide has killed ten workers in Texas in the past decade. They include drivers of tanker trucks hauling hazardous waste, as well as a worker in a gas processing plant. In May 2014, an 11-mile hydrogen sulfide gas pipeline was approved that will run past 25 homes and 15 public roads near the town of Leveland, Texas. Okay. Shout out to all all our Leveland listeners. Yeah, yeah. Hey, nothing could possibly go wrong with this plan. Those homes and roads are within the radius of exposure, quote-unquote, uh, should the gas leak in a radius under one mile, there would be potential exposure of 100 to 500 parts per million of the gas. Mm-hmm. Such exposures could mean a loss of smell and lung irritation at the low end, with death possible after breathing higher concentrations for 30 minutes to an hour. Okay. Mm. In 1975, nine people, including eight family members gathered at a house for a reunion, died in Denver City in West Texas when hydrogen sulfide gas leaked from the nearby oil field site. Wow. Wow. So you're just, like, you're just family gets together for a nice reunion, yeah. and then all of a sudden, some gas that like you probably smell at first and go, "That's bad," and then everybody doesn't, and no. then they die. Yeah, and everybody goes, "Who farted?" You know, little rotten egg smell. Uh, I don't blah, smell blah, it blah. anymore. Well, okay, we're fine. Yeah, but now I'm woozy. <laughs> <laughs> but they so it basically wiped out a family barbecue. Yeah, right. I'd like to talk now about the stink of outer space. I, in space, somebody can actually smell you scream. That sounds like a really bad sea movie. When astronauts return from spacewalks and remove their helmets, they are welcomed back with a peculiar smell, an odor that is distinct and weird. Something, astronauts have described it, like seared steak, hot metal, and also welding fumes. Okay, I think I can steak and imagine metal and that. welding. Yeah. That's what space smells like? Steak is okay. Well, no, that's, this yeah. is when they're back, right? Yeah, so they get the, the, the stink of space is rubbed off on them. Yeah, I don't think they can smell it actually outside of there. They're not supposed to. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, you should probably not take your helmet off to smell okay. space in while space, you're in it. No. Let me take a good sniff at that. <laughs> Our extraterrestrial explorers are remarkably consistent in describing space scent in meaty metallic terms. Uh-huh. Uh, various astronauts have described it thusly. Now there's three astronauts and there's three of you. Okay. Yeah, so right. we'll take turns. Okay. Kevin, you start at the top there. What should my astronauts sound like? You should sound like uh you know, like a like a space jockey. Carries a distinct odor of ozone, a faint acrid smell. A little like gunpowder, it is sulfurous. A rather pleasant, sweet, metallic sensation. It reminded me of my college summers, where I labored for many hours with an arc-welding torch repairing heavy equipment for a small logging outfit. It reminded me of pleasant, sweet-smelling welding fumes. That is the smell of space. <laughs> sweet-smelling sweet welding fumes? I'm pretty sure it... No. Yeah, I'm pretty, really? I've smelled welding before. Yeah, I don't think too. it's sweet. I think this guy is a little little bent. Well, the, there is a recent discovery in a vast dust cloud at the center of the galaxy of ethyl formate, the chemical compound that is, among other things, responsible for the flavor of raspberries. Oh. I like raspberries. Mm, who doesn't like... I, who doesn't what? like space raspberries? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what a space raspberry sounds like. <laughs> 
In space, nobody can hear you blow a raspberry, Kevin. (laughs) So now you ask, how does it stink? How does that happen? How does it work? Right. Well, it turns out that we, and more specifically our atmosphere, are the ones who give space its special spice. The aroma astronauts inhale as they move their mass from space to station is a result of high-energy vibrations in particles brought back inside, which mix with the air. Okay. Right? So silver surfer farts. Yes, mm-hmm. Silver Surfer or Galactus Farts. Galactus Farts. Yeah. Go big. Go big yeah. or go home, Kevin. <laughs> in, in the past, NASA has been interested in reproducing that smell for training purposes to help preemptively acclimate astronauts to the odors of the extra atmospheric environment and to minimize sensory surprises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they're afraid they'll like go, ooh. I didn't like, expect to smell that here. <laughs> yeah, and, like jump back and elbow, oh the, yeah. elbow the emergency hatch thing and get sucked out or something. Well, I when think. you've got like probably every single second of your spacewalk timed out, they mm-hmm. don't want you spending a minute and a half going, yeah, that's an interesting smell. Like, what is what that? Smell Can like? we stop yeah. and talk about that again? And they're like, God, another <laughs> one smelling it for the first time. <laughs> Fuck, guys, come on. <laughs> NASA in 2008 talked with the scent chemist Steve Pierce about the possibility of recreating space stench as much as possible here on Earth. Yeah. Pierce came to NASA's attention after he recreated for an art installation on impossible smells the sense of the mere space station. Okay. This was, he noted, a feat made more complicated by the fact that cosmonauts tend to bring vodka with them into space, <laughs> which affects not only the scent of their breath, but also that of their perspiration. Yeah. I was, I was going to say that as a joke, <laughs> and it turned out to be true. The result, Pierce described, just imagine sweaty feet and stale body odor. Mix that odor with nail polish remover and gasoline. Then you get close. Yay. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That does. I do not want to spend time on that space station.
I'd like to talk about pheromones. Ooh. A pheromone from the Greek pharaoh, meaning to bear, and hormone, meaning impetus, is a chemical factor that triggers a social response in members of the same species. So these cause people to no longer have functioning penises. Why? I don't know. He just said it caused impotence. It's an impetus. Impetus. Sorry. There are alarm pheromones, food trail pheromones, sex pheromones, and many others. Hmm. Alarm pheromones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like uh, you release a stench to let everybody know, hey, there's a danger nearby. Ah, yes, that's I shit my pants when that happens. That's, yes, how, that's, that's my alarm pheromone. Much, yeah. Yeah. Their use among insects has been particularly well documented. In addition, some vertebrates and plants communicate by using pheromones. Mm-hmm. Honeybee larvae release what is known as a brood pheromone, mm-hmm. which causes adults to consume more pollen to keep up with larval food demand. Right. Mm-hmm. This, in effect, shortens the lives of the older sister bees, which mm. makes way for the new ones. Right. I thought brooding pheromone would be just goth. Yeah, the, right. the, the goth larvae, right? Yeah. They paint their, you know, uh, life sucks. Their grubworm faces white. My decent life non-specifically sucks. So I'm just <laughs> going to sit here and think about it. <laughs> A large part of physical attraction in humans may be based on smell. Yep. Research suggests, baby. yeah. Research suggests that we not only come equipped to choose a romantic partner who smells good to us, but that scent-based cues help us zero in on optimal partners, the ones most likely to stay faithful and create healthy children. Oh, faithful-smelling people. What, is fa- what, is, what do you think a faithful-smelling person smells like? Bibles? Uh, <laughs> oh, really? That, the evidence does not show that. No, no, that's not true. I was going with the more literal faithful definition. Yeah. Uh, what do you think a faithful person smells like? Uh, Old Spice? Sausages. Right? Uh, sausages? Why did, because then they can't attract anybody else? Uh, <laughs> first thing that popped in my head. Well, you're just hungry. Torin's hungry. We're going for sausages after the recording. Listen, anybody who's going to stay with Torin for a lengthy period of time is going to smell like sausages. <laughs> yeah, they just better get used to it. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's better that you start by smelling like sausages. Why take somebody and demand they change their smell to that of sausages? Yeah. You should find somebody who smells like sausages and be with them. That is Dr. Critical. Nina, what do you I, think faithfulness smells like? I don't know. Maybe metal for chastity belts. Oh, okay. there you go. Uh, All right. I like it. I'm glad you're taken. Well, I like I like the fact that uh, she doesn't think we're capable of being faithful. It's got to be belt. You got to be belted in. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Biologist Klaus Wedkind gave 44 men. Is new- it Wedkind or Wedekind? I don't know. He's German. Vidikant, yes. Yeah, oh. win. Okay. <laughs> For once, Torn won the war of pronunciation. That doesn't happen Not in often. English, though. <laughs> that biologist gave 44 <laughs> men... New T-shirts and instructed them to wear the shirts for two straight nights. Nice. Okay. After the men were allowed to change, 49 women sniffed the shirts and specified which odors they found most attractive. Right. Uh-huh. Women preferred the smell of T-shirts worn by men who were immunologically dissimilar to them. Hmm. Ah, and the- didn't eat sausage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, except for the one that was right for Torin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The difference lay in the sequence of more than 100 immune system genes known as the MHC. Anybody okay. know what that stands for? Mass... Human. Something human. Humans in the middle of it. Major histocompatibility complex. I can't pronounce that. Wow. Good. You can pronounce German names. I can pronounce histocompatibility. (laughs) You win. (laughs) MHC stands for major histocompatibility complex. These genes code for proteins that help the immune system recognize pathogens. And self. Oh, and self. There you go. The smell of their favorite shirts also reminded the women of their past and current boyfriends, suggesting that MHC does indeed influence women's dating decisions in real life. So, you know, if a girl doesn't like you, it could be be because literally you stink to them. Right. Right. 
Right. That's the old saying, you know, there's somebody for everybody, right? That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. Women's preference for MHC. So just, does this mean if I find uh, a lady attractive by smell, she will necessarily find me attractive I don't by think smell? necessarily, because but we're immunologically she will probably. Dissimilar. I would be more accurate to say more likely to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, she might like your smell. She just might, might not like anything the else about you. <laughs> the rest of me is the problem. <laughs> yes. Why does this guy smell like sausages? <laughs> I mean, I like sausages, but... Women's preference for MHC-distinct mates makes perfect sense from a biological point of view. Partners whose immune systems are different produce offspring who are more disease-resistant. Right. Of course, that makes sense. Because, you know, one parent is, uh, you know, resistant against some things, and the other parent is resistant against all the other things. Then you're going to get a kid who's resistant to most things. Hopefully. Hopefully. Or... One parent is not resistant to these things. Another parent is not resistant to those things. Right. Now their kids are not resistant to any Anything. of those things. As you like to say, Torn, everything is a gamble. Yeah. <laughs> MHC profiles are as distinct as fingerprints. There are thousands of possible gene combinations. A potential sex partner who smells good to one woman may completely repel another. Mm-hmm. Body odor is... I'm a- working on repelling everyone. Success! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Body odor is an external manifestation of the immune system, and the smells we think are attractive come from the people who are most genetically compatible with us. Mm, okay. Studies of couples whose mates have a high degree of MHC profile similarity suffered higher rates of miscarriage. Right. Mm-hmm. Experienced longer intervals between pregnancies, indicating more difficulty conceiving. And the more similar in MHC profiles of partners, the less sex between the partners and a higher chance of infidelity. Right. Ah. So this is the, these are the couples that smell the same. These are the couples right. that, that smell the same. That yeah. they go after people who smell different, probably. So the scent kind of, it's it almost seems like this scent is trying to make you increase your genetic diversity. Right. So that, that seems That's what's exactly going what on. exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Women on the pill tend to prefer those who share the same MHA profiles as them, as the birth control pill oh. tricks the body into thinking it's pregnant, activating a preference for kin who are genetically similar and therefore more protective of us. Oh, more oh. protective. So I guess technically a woman taking, if you start seeing a woman and then she goes on the pill, she might change her mind about you because of the way that you smell. She totally can. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? It has happened. That, wow. <laughs> it, uh, wait this a explains a lot. Hold on a second. <laughs> Evolutionary psychologist Jeffrey Miller studied the pill's connection to waning male desire while studying a group of exotic dancers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy on the air quotes, studying exotic dancers. I'm going to high-five Jeffrey Miller if I ever meet him. <laughs> All right, I, here's my grand proposal. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go in, I'm going to go to 10 different strip clubs every night. Uh-huh. I'm going to interview a bunch of exotic dancers. Oh, the I'm gonna, pretty ladies. I'm going to rub $1 bills up against them and then <laughs> test it for <laughs> smells. This, yeah. is, this is the only grant proposal that was given in singles. <laughs> Non-pill-using dancers made about 50% more in tips than dancers on the pill. Right. Hmm. Oh. There's public service announcements for, for exotic, exotic dancers. dancers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So you you smell a girl and you, she's on the pill, so it's fooling her body and fooling you into thinking she's pregnant, and you don't want her grinding against you. I guess it's that. It also could be that she doesn't like you. She her body is fooling her to think she's pregnant, so maybe she's not as good at being seductive. Okay, I don't know what the cause is exactly. No, but that's kind of the job. More right? studies needed. Yeah, multi <laughs> factors. We're gonna Kevin. You want to go study some more of this tonight? Uh, the caustic soda uh, grant program. Oh, we did our Indiegogo campaign. I mean, I can't think of a better way to spend the money. We gotta spend the money on something. (laughs) Yes. Modern hygiene may be an impediment to sexual signaling due to all the perfumes and scented personal hygiene products. Mm. 
So again, I mean, we're complaining about way too much perfume. If you're going to wear a perfume or some kind of scent on you, don't overdo it. It masks yeah. your natural musk. Do the old... Do the sexy, sexy musk. Yeah. Do the spritz in the air and walk through it. I agree, yeah. Right? Yes, you know? please. That's why I get all the ladies, because I don't use any of that stuff. <laughs> I just oh, use really? deodorant. I just walk through a lineup, and they all come swarming at me. <laughs> I mostly have two spots in my body that stink, and so I cover them with scent, and that's it. Uh-huh. Would you put deodorant on your anus? <laughs> I mostly have two spots in my body that are accessible to the outside world. I get, I get it. It's like you see two two deodorant sticks in somebody's cabinet. And you're like, one of them is brown. Yeah, one of them. And one very of them sharp. Looks, has a very sharp edge to it. And you're just like, oh, that's my anus stick. Maybe you carve it into a butt plug. Just keep it up there all day. That's why when you fart, oh, mm, delightful! It smells like it smells like sports. Why? Why have we not invented pass-through butt plugs? <laughs> like instead of a butt plug, like some kind of just butt filter, like a like so that it lets the fart go through, but makes it smell good. No. So you get the you get the added benefit of having this wonderful tickler butt plug up your butt all day, mm. and you can walk around, but it doesn't block the farts, and the farts that come out smell great. They just came out with a line of underwear with a charcoal filter on the yeah. butthole, so that when you fart, it like uh, filters out the right. bad smell. Let's let's do and that. it's filled with potpourri. But, but uh. see, but your underwear it can crawl all over the place and sometimes go off to the side and it wouldn't cover and you never know if everything's going to pass through that charcoal. But you mm. put that butt plug in, that's got a charcoal activated filter in it. There is no air that is not going through that filter. Uh. Torin, you could even add scents. You could make it so that it smells like sausages. <laughs> I don't think Torn needs a butt plug to have his fart smell like no, sausages. No, I'm saying his partner would have this. <laughs> Torn's partner would wear a sausage-scented, oh. charcoal-activated butt plug. This Sign is. Me up. We're going to be putting these up on CausticGear.com as soon as we can find a manufacturer. Kim done. <laughs> All right, it's time for Shitty Jobs. Shitty Jobs. Shitty Jobs. Stink bomb creator and test subjects. <laughs> okay. Sensory psychologist Dr. Pamela Dalton has created the world's worst smell. Oh. Her client, the U.S. Department of Defense, which wanted a world-class stink bomb, a violently potent, no-kill weapon, all but guaranteed to make enemies drop their weapons and run away. This was ordered by General Calvin. (laughs) Yes. Dalton surveyed the vilest odors from around the globe Mm -hmm. and identified the key elements. Okay. She focused on two kings of the stench world. Rotting right. corpses and human waste, and recreated them in her lab. Is this what you've always dreamed of yourself, Dr. Nina, of yes. uh, recreating Actually, that was my dream job. In laboratory. But it was already <laughs> taken. Yeah. Damn you, Dr. Pamela Dalton. Uh, she added uh, sulfur. Okay. The uh, rotting egg smell and a sweet, fruity overtone for some reason. Well, that really stinky plant said it had the the sweet floral overtone. So maybe hearing that, maybe smelling that makes you go, oh, it's nice and, ah, and you get the rest in. Maybe you get that that tone and you go, oh, and you really give it a heave ho. You need that teaser to make you like really halt. Because if it comes at your rotting egg, you get get just the tip of the iceberg. And you get away from it. So decomposing flowers. Flesh really smells slightly sweet. Have you ever like well, chicken gone off and it has a Swedish smell? Okay, and yeah. it, it is this Wait, pretty disgusting. Did you say Swedish or Swedish? Like it smells Swedish like people. Swedish people. Don't want like to Swedes. offend at any Swedish people here. <laughs> this explains Swedish meatballs. <laughs> yeah, it does.
The exact recipe is, of course, a secret. Ah, national su- secret. But suffice it to say that the final product smells something like a putrescence corpse lying on a mound of human excrement laced with rotten eggs and overripe fruit. That okay. would be horrible. That would be horrible. I can imagine that being the worst smell in the world. Dalton tested her smell on volunteers. <laughs> Wait, they didn't even get paid? All of the volunteers completed it? the study uninjured. Dalton oh. says that it's very unusual for a smell, no matter how bad, to cause physical harm. I, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I imagine, because this was for the Department of Defense, they, just these poor soldiers having to walk through a cloud of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or wear a gas mask where they're pumping it into their face. <laughs> oh, God. Once completed, what became known as stench soup got a lot of press <laughs> and a surprisingly enthusiastic responses. After reading about her creation, hundreds of people contacted Dalton to tell her about smells that only she as an expert would appreciate, <laughs> such as burning cat poop. Oh, um, nice, yeah. The person confided that in the spirit of discovery, she actually le- put her cat's poop on a lit barbecue. Oh, why? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, five pounds of raw shrimp left in a vacation home over the winter. Oh, oh yeah, God. that'll do it. God, I leave if I order like you know the uh, the prawn tempura from the sushi joint, and I leave the prawn tails in my garbage overnight. Oh. I can't stand it. It's right. got to go out the mm. next morning. And the fluid excreted by a dog's anal glands. <laughs> okay. Anal gland fluid. Does your dog have anal glands Who that you have to that? squeeze? No, what not, did they do? Uh, not that I have to squeeze. I don't know if do all dogs have that. My my dog has doesn't have any problems with his. Right, if he has them, doesn't need his anal glands expressed. I no. think is the right term. No, he doesn't do the the carpet rub or would, any of that kind of thing. I would imagine that story came from a veterinarian. Could be, or maybe I, somebody who's been sticking their nose in their dog's <laughs> anal glands. Yep. You can't rule anything out in this day and age. You know what? It could be like the next epi- the next episode of Jackass, right? You know, they just like have a dog right. and they get the guy to go in there to smell the inner glands. They squeeze it and like expresses like on his face or yes. something. You know, this is reminding me of another bad scent that I smelled and how it didn't cause any reaction. That was when I got my laser eye surgery mm. because they gave me Ativan. I think I might have talked about this before, uh, which is an anti-anxiety drug so that mm. you don't freak out while they're basically cutting your eye up with a laser. Right. And he, he told me beforehand, he said, uh, so we give you this because, you know, it can be a little distressing because while we're burning, you'll actually smell it and it smells like burnt hair. And he's oh. totally, totally right, my so, doctor. So I was lying there and I, I'm on Ativan, so nothing's really bothering me. And all the, you, you kind of hear as it's, as it's burning and you're like strapped in there so you can't move your head. And I was like, oh, yeah, that does smell like burnt hair. That doesn't smell very good. Yeah, well. So burnt eyeballs smell like burnt Burnt hair. hair. Yeah. Hmm. Burning collagen. It's the same substance. Oh, there There you go. go. Hair and eyeballs. So why don't we just make new eyeballs out of our hair? Just go to the barbershop. Make new eyeballs. Because similar is not same. Oh. Boo. In the news. January 2014, Mozambique. A small army of landmine detecting rats is to be redeployed in a push to meet a deadline to have the country declared free of mines this year. <laughs> okay, but are landmine detecting rats just they let go a bunch of rats into a minefield and just wait till they all explode? Is that what counts as landmine detecting rats? They just put a giant wheel of cheese on the other side of the field, uh-huh. right? And then just let like 500 of them go. And then, uh, oh, they're all detected now. Is that, is that how this works? Unfortunately, no. Oh, boo. Belgian non-governmental organization Apopo trains African giant pouched rats 
mm-hmm. to sniff out the explosives in landmines by conditioning them to associate the scent with rewards of food. Okay. The rodents, which weigh about as much as a small domestic cat. Uh, what, rats the size of cats? Yeah, these are pretty big. Look at this. Mm-hmm. What oh. the? They're kind of cute. Holy, yeah, they are pretty it's cute. It's like the size of your head. It's uh, about half the size of my dog. Wow. <laughs> that is a big rat. And a small dog. Yeah. They are light enough to move over terrain without setting off the mines. Okay. Oh, okay. So they don't oh. set off the mines. So they can run over all the mines without setting them yeah. off. They are followed by a team of mine removal experts with metal detectors. Last year, Apopo cleared 618 acres of mined land in Mozambique. This year, it is redeploying 78 rats to continue the work. And they they can smell the mines? Like the explosives of the they mines? They can smell the mines. Okay. I'm right. saying this now. These rats look awesome. Like, they are totally cute looking. And they they don't seem to have the disgusting tail. They have a Like, they have a tail, tail. but it's <laughs> but it, it, it's but it doesn't look like a pink, gross thing that, like, our standard uh, rats here do have. Like, uh. it's... I think a lot of people would disagree with that. Okay. <laughs> I think these rats are awesome. Well, here's the, here's the bellwether. Nina, do you want to meet this rat? Are sure. You... <laughs> okay, there you go. But that means, good... that means That means, no, that's, my point was, that means it's disgusting. She only <laughs> wants to meet disgusting animals. Look at Raccoons this cute little harness it's wearing. Look at him. How yeah. awesome is that? That's Ooh, totally cool. Guy. Eradicating landmines from the country this year Wait. would mean... Eradicating? Eradicating <laughs> yeah. Pro- Operation Eradicate. Yeah. That's my kind of operation. <laughs> Doesn't care how successful it is as long as it's a terrible pun. Yeah. Would mean Mozambique would fulfill its obligations under the Ottawa Treaty. Oh. Which is an agreement signed in 1997, uh, which uh, signatories were required to clear all landmines from their land. Good times. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mozambique experienced 16 years of civil war between 1977 and 1992. Although the fighting has stopped, the tens of thousands of landmines left behind continued to claim lives. Right. Apopo has discovered and safely destroyed nearly 2,500 landmines in the country, as well as more than 15,000 pieces of unexploded ordnance, small arms, and ammunition, and returned approximately 2,000 acres to local communities. Oh, that's a lot of acres. farm there. Mine free. Mm -hmm. The rats undergo nine months of training. Learning wow. to sniff out the explosives in old landmines buried underground. They scratch the ground to alert their handlers to mines. The rodents are quick learners and easy to work with. Ironically, their lifespan is 10 months. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, they don't get that old. <laughs> they can check 200 square meters of landmines in 30 minutes. A human armed with a metal detector could take up to three days to do the same job. Rats have also been shown to be able to detect tuberculosis. Call back to our tuberculosis episode. Oh, wow. And have been trained to do so in Tanzania. May 2014, Italy. Researchers at the Istituto Clinico Humanitas have trained two dogs that can sniff out the scent of prostate cancer in urine samples Mm. with a success rate of, anybody? 100%. Close, 98%. Wow! So now, actual sniffing your butt has a purpose. Yeah. Well, I'm disappointed that they they sniff it in urine samples and they don't actually stick the dog up your butt. Oh! (laughs) That would be uncomfortable. That's totally what the dogs would want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Researchers used win win. <laughs> Maybe that's why they do it. <laughs> Researchers used two professionally trained dogs to test their ability to detect prostate cancer from a pool of 677 people. When you say a pool, <laughs> do you mean a giant pool of urine <laughs> from 677 <laughs> people? <laughs> and uh, how did they how did they point out which one had it? Uh, there's some in there. <laughs> yep. No, they, they sniff they sniff the urine sample as it's coming out of the penis. All oh, right. Yeah. 
One group of participants was cancer-free. The other group ranged from individuals with low-risk tumors to those whose cancer had metastasized to other tissues. In a few cases, the dogs identified cancer when it wasn't there, called a false positive, accounting for the remaining 2% of cases. Or was it? Or or was it? Maybe they just didn't couldn't detect that the cancer was there. Oh, I see mm. what you're saying. No, because they knew who had cancer and who didn't. That was the point of the study. Or did they? <laughs> oh, you're saying that the, the science was wrong and the dogs were yes. right. I see. <laughs> okay. Only time will tell. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. They're now they can see the future of your prostate You don't have cancer now, but, you but you're going to die of cancer. <laughs> this dog says you are, and though science says you aren't, I trust the dog more. Uh-huh. That success rate represents a vast improvement over the standard prostate-specific antigen test, which has a false positive rate as high as 80%. Oh, my God. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Dogs' noses have four times the number of olfactory cells as humans, making them sensitive enough to detect the volatile organic compounds emitted from tumors. Right. Oh, the smell of the tumor. I know it well. Oh, yeah. yeah. (sighs) Smells like sausages. (laughs) So, wait. I thought the smell of tumors smelled like victory. But you want a partner who smells I like sausages. Tumors. So what you really want is somebody with Smell, cancer. Smells like tumors. Prostate uh-huh. cancer specifically. <laughs> that's that's why you want sausages. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. So uh, boys, if you've got uh, prostate cancer, Torrin's looking for you. Yep. The In Situ Foundation are looking to gain FDA approval for a canine medical scent detection kit that uses breath samples to detect lung cancer. Oh, wow. The foundation is also funding new studies to explore canine detection of early stomach and pancreatic cancers, which both... Both lack screening methods. Yeah, like that's why pancreatic cancer like takes you out in like months because like you know you never know you have it until it's way right. too late. Yeah, mm. until you get a dog in there. Until you get some dogs in there. <laughs> yeah, but if a dog rooting around in your insides. I wonder what a dog would have to smell to like detect your pancreatic cancer. Like lung cancer, it's they they you breathe on them. You know, prostate cancer, you pee on them. I'm guessing they would just take a biopsy. They'd have to go in and take some of your pancreas. Take some of your pancreas and dilute it uh, into something and let a dog smell it. I don't know. You can't just pancreas on something. They can <laughs> smell it on your skin. Okay. Oh. Because oh, the components well. that are um, produced by the tumor are in your bloodstream and that eventually it will go out. And oh, so maybe you just got you just got to bleed on the dog. <laughs> there you go. So maybe a dog bites you and then it's like <laughs> ruff ruff. And you're like, oh, cancer. Cancer, boy. I'm going straight to the doctor. Or rabies. <laughs> or rabies. Cancer or rabies. One or the other. What's that? Billy's fallen down a well and his liver cancer's metastasized. <laughs> January 2011, Chicago. A surprising study has now claimed that losing your sense of smell when you're older could mean that your time is nigh. Okay. Okay. It could Bil- also mean that it's not. Wait, that your time is Bill <laughs> Nye? Yeah, your time is Bill Nye. Consider the following. Okay. Scientists from Rush University Medical Center found that the more everyday odors a person can identify, the more likely they are to be alive several years later. Okay. The researchers then followed the participants, none of whom had dementia or Parkinson's disease at the time for four years. They found that the risk of death was 36% higher for those who only got six of the answers correct compared to those who managed to identify 11 out of 12. Oh, okay. Okay. This right. association was true even when age, disability, depression, brain dysfunction, and leisure activity was taken into account. Hmm. The results indicate the difficulty identifying familiar odors in old age is associated with increased risk of death. Wow. Wow. So what do you think? It's If you can't smell things, you lose the will to live? Or Maybe. is it as you're losing your ability to live, your smell starts to go? It's like it's the canary in the mine shaft. Your sense of smell is the... This is the canary. Right. The early warning system. Yes. 
tweet, tweet, tweet. In the pop culture? All right, let's do it. I'm going to talk about Scent of Mystery. This is a 1960 mystery film that featured the one and only use of smellovision. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Worst idea maybe ever. <laughs> the process injected 30 odors into a movie theater seats when triggered by the film's soundtrack. It was the first film in which aromas were integral to the story, providing important details to the audience. Okay. A mystery novelist. This is the plot. A okay. mystery novelist played by Denholm Elliott, who we remember from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Discovers a plan to murder an American heiress played by Elizabeth Taylor in an uncredited role. She oh. was uncredited as an heiress? While on vacation in Spain. Okay. She's the point of the whole movie and she is uncredited? He enlists the help of a taxi driver played by Peter Lorre. Mm. Oh, yeah? Okay. What did he smell like? Sounds like they got a pretty good cast. Yeah, Peter Lorre comes on and they just like, you know, pipe in sauerkraut and, <laughs> and cabbage. Yeah. Parrot? Do you think Peter Lorre smells like a parrot? I don't know. We've got a parrot that's on uh, that's called a lorry in Germany. Oh, I don't okay. know if it's the same in English. There you uh, go. There's a German pun. <laughs> that was a Kevin joke in a different language. Yeah. I translate across international borders. Yeah. Wait, wait. Let's do an English one. Peter, he smells like an a English truck. truck. Yeah. A lorry. Because mm-hmm. uh, so, if you'd said it, if you'd said it not in that tone, it would have been good. <laughs> they travel uh, across the Spanish countryside in order to thwart the crime. Some scenes were designed to highlight the smell of vision's capabilities. In one, wine casks fall off a wagon and roll down a hill, smashing against a wall, at which point a grape scent was released. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. You know wine doesn't smell like grapes, right? Mm, I didn't make it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Other right. scenes were accompanied by aromas that revealed key points to the audience. The assassin was identified by the smell of a smoking pipe, for example. Ooh. Okay. Oh, so you can like, you see something in the shadows and you smell the pipes so and you're like, it's yes, the killer. The killer's near. All right. New York Times writer Richard Nason believed it was a major advance in filmmaking. As such, expectations for the film were great. Okay. I could, yeah, I could see the excitement about this because scent is very tied to memory and things like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. The film opened in three specially equipped theaters in February 1960 in New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the mechanism did not work properly. Aromas were released with a distracting hissing noise, and audience members in the balcony complained that the sense reached them several seconds after the action was shown on the screen. Right, of course. It's uh, like yeah. when the subtitles don't sync up on your, yeah. uh, on your uh, foreign movie. Yeah. It's like sitting like miles back from a movie screen and having to wait for the sound to get to you. Right. In other parts of the theater, the odors were too faint, causing audience members to sniff loudly in an attempt to catch the scent of being in that theater. <laughs> it's the equivalent of, what did that guy say? Yeah. I don't understand what's going on. Why is that guy here now? That's the smell shushing again. Yeah, that's, yeah there you go. That, that, absolutely. Technical adjustments by the manufacturer of the Smell-O-Vision solved these problems, but by then it was too late. Uh, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Negative mm-hmm. reviews in conjunction with word of mouth caused the film to fail miserably. Comedian Henny Youngman quipped, I didn't understand the picture. I had a cold. <laughs> yeah. The film was eventually re- retitled as Holiday in Spain and re-released Sans Odors. Right. However, the film acquired a baffling, almost surreal quality since there was no reason why, for example, a loaf of bread should be lifted from the oven and thrust into the camera for what seemed to be an unconsciously oh an unconscionably long time. It's the smell o vision version of old bad three D movies where yeah. they would just go in and out of the camera. Yeah. Ooh, ah, <laughs> ooh, ah. 
Scent of Mystery was aired once on television by MTV in the 1980s in conjunction with a convenience store promotion that offered scratch and sniff cards that viewers were used to recreate the theater experience. Oh, okay. I think I remember hearing about that. I don't think we could do it up in Canada. All right. All right. Well, I saw the movie A Perfume, and Nina did as well, The Story of a Murderer, the 2006 Tom Tikva. Tom Tikva? He's the director. Okay. Uh, directing, he directed one of my favorite films. Is he uh, named after a clock that's breaking down? Well, it's it's spelled tick were, uh-huh. but it's pronounced tick ver because it's German. Because he's German, and yes. the name is German. But this is based on a novel by a German person. Yes. Yeah, and Nina, in fact, has, Nina has actually skinned? read the book as well as seen yes, the movie. It was a big deal. It was like a bestseller for nine years. Oh. But, <laughs> A nine-year-long bestseller in Germany, but the movie was in English. I guess they figured they there was going to be an international market for it, and the plot is about a guy who's basically got the perfect sense of smell. He can smell everything instantly and like differentiate different notes, and so he's a kind of a, a, he's a super smeller. He's a super smeller, and uh, he uh, he smells this woman. His first trip to Paris smells this girl, and he follows her. And wants to keep smelling her, but she doesn't want to be smelled. She kind of freaks out. She kind of freaks because out. Because he runs after her, sniffing her. Yeah. So she tries to get away, and he accidentally chokes her to death. Whoa, oh, that, right? that's happened Oops. to me. Yep. And then he realizes that she once she's dead, she doesn't smell like she used to. Oh. Shocking. So his lifelong mission becomes to capture the essence of a live female, but the only way he figures he can do that is by making them dead. That's weird. To and me. like distilling them. First of all, how do you how do you actually strangle someone to death, choke someone to death? Uh, how does it happen in the well, novel? He grabs her, puts his hand over his her nose and her mouth, and puts the other hand on her throat, and like holds her down until she stops struggling. Just because so, he wants to oh. smell her. So he tried no. to he tried to suffocate her to knock her out. No, 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 no. no they, he he tried to keep her quiet. That's oh. right. Someone she was started, coming around, and she started to scream. Stop screaming! Yeah. I just want to smell you. That's right. No, I'm screaming. I'm going to keep you from screaming. That's right. That screaming is really ruining my, uh, my smelling. smelling I'm also a perfect that. hearer, and your screaming <laughs> is, is irritating. Me. Yeah. So it's, it's Wolverine with all his hyper-acute senses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Strangled her, sure. So Three he, snick marks right in her chest. He, gets, he, get, he finds himself, he gets himself apprenticed to a, a, a famous perfumer because of his innate abilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then yeah, so the story just proceeds on from there. I'm not gonna like ruin any of it along the way in case you want to watch it. Uh, I give it a thumbs up, but there's some really, question mark. But there's some really weird surreal things that happen in this. And uh, and I was watching it with Nina, and she goes, "Oh, they actually did that from the book." Yes. I didn't think they were gonna. They kept do it. the end, and I was surprised they actually kept the end because the end is. Special. Special. <laughs> <laughs> it's un- Let's say they can only pull that off in Europe. Yeah. It's oh, very, it's very, okay. It's very unexpected. I did not expect what happened to happen. <laughs> Let's, I haven't seen it. Let's not spoil it. Yeah, no, I'm not going to spoil it. It's but, actually a good movie, and it's very close to the book. Like, yeah, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say, you know, watch it on Netflix. Oh. It's, uh, it's definitely worth watching. You <laughs> keep saying it like that. Well, I mean, I guess if you find it t- distasteful that this guy just is, he becomes a serial killer to like try and get ladies to so he can try and make perfume out of their bodies. We're on caustic soda. You know, it, I guess that's true. Yeah. Soda jerks aren't really going to be put off by that sort of thing as a general rule. So, but if you don't like the sounds of that, then stay away. Is the secret ingredient poop? 
<laughs> it's very beautifully shot. I will say that. Yeah. The camera work. If is anything, this movie should have been in Smell-O-Vision. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> yeah? yeah. Yeah. There you go. Just a different, a whole different set of perfumes, right? Yeah. Uh, I also want to talk about the TV show Hannibal. Okay. I've heard really good things. I haven't li- I've watched it yet. It's I, awesome. Yeah. I am thoroughly addicted. Okay. Yeah. It's <gasps> season Call back one. To the addiction episode. <laughs> season one is really great. But the best episode of season one is not as good as the worst episode of season two. Season two is awesome. Okay. And uh, Hannibal is constantly smelling all the other characters. Uh, You think he's smelling them to like check the freshness of the meat or something. But there is a major plot point near the end of season two where uh, his fine sense of smell actually, you know, tunes him into something that's going on that he didn't realize was going on. So he's a super smeller as well. He is a super smeller. What is his favorite smell? Uh, human flesh probably probably human flesh okay yeah, yeah and or blood in season one episode five uh hannibal smells the stage four lung cancer oh. and jack crawford's wife he's like a, a dog yeah yeah he's yeah. got the nose of a dog <laughs> yeah so he's definitely a super smeller <laughs> smells like sausages <laughs> It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, "I hope I don't go crazy today." It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while having his penis stolen by a Ugandan merchant. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Soda Podcast. And email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm never the guy who's the first to say, does anybody else smell that? I always am the guy that like somebody says, do you smell that? And I'm like, well, I don't smell nothing. I'm always that guy. So I think I'm a bad smeller. You are a bad smeller. Even from <laughs> just from this side of the table, I can tell you. Nice.